listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. For the last year or so, I have been secretly training, and not so secretly, because I drink sweet tea pretty much every single day. So I go through sweet tea, about a gallon of sweet tea almost every single day. So my daughter, uh, I've been training her how to make the perfect glass of sweet tea. So I As a father, I'm able to start pawning some of these things off to uh, my children. And this is one of the things that I've bestowed upon her. One day she will uh, be honoring and blessing a husband. He could thank me because of all the stuff I've taught him how to make great sweet tea. Um, But I I love sweet tea. Anybody else love sweet tea? I love sweet tea. And and there's an art to it. There there really is. If if you're a sweet tea snob, kind of like me, I I'm particular about my tea. Um, there is an art to it. If, if it's too sugary, it's syrup, right? Uh, if it's not sugar to, uh, sugary enough, if it's not sweet enough, it's garbage water. And um, I just don't want any part of it. But there's a fine balance in making the sweet tea. Now, when you start the boiling process, I, I teach her, you know, there's, there's three bags that you have to boil. Uh, you don't boil it in too much water. You don't boil it in too little water. If you boil it in too little water, there's a high percentage that it's going to, you know, evaporate out and you're going to burn your tea bags. And that is something that we're dealing with right now. If you walk into our house, it smells like burnt tea bags because my daughter forgot it was on the stove. Uh, bless her little heart for trying to help me and, and, and bless me with sweet tea. But man, our house reeks right now because it smells like burnt tea bags. And, um, and, and so if you boil it too long, you'll burn up the tea. Um, you boil it too little, it's not strong enough. If you boil it too long again, the, the bag might bust and you get all the little grains in your tea. And that's, that's not kosher. That's not good. You don't want that. And so there's a, there's a right way to boil tea. You boil it. You don't microwave it. Uh, you've got to boil tea. Um, not only do you boil your tea, but you, you got to make sure that you use the right sweetener. You, you've got to put sugar in it. Uh, none of that Splenda or artificial sweetener stuff. It, it's just nasty. And, and you're better than that. You deserve better than that. So, so sweet tea it up and uh, put some sh- real sugar in there. I, I normally do a cup and a half, a cup, three quarters. I, I've, I've cut back on it. I used to put more, but I'm trying to, trying to live to at least I'm 50 now. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to change my diet up a little bit. Um, so I've cut back a little bit on the sugar, but you got to have the right amount of sugar in there. Um, then there's a delicate balance of when you have your boiled tea, you have your pitcher, uh, you have your sugar already in the picture. So when you, boil, you pour the boiled water, the hot tea water mixture into your container, it is melting and dissipating that sugar. So when you Pour in your cold water, slowly pour in your cold water, and mix it at the right speed, clockwise, and everything like that. It all balances out to the wonderful nectar that the Lord created for his people. And I love sweet tea. Uh, but there again, there is a fine balance to it. In life, there's a lot of things that we have to find balance in. Well, part of that is learning how to balance your checkbook. How many of you still balance a checkbook? Okay, all right. We dated all of ourselves. You have to balance your account. Uh, you got to make sure that you have more coming in than what? Going out. You got to make sure you balance your diets. Uh, I'm getting, again, a little older, so now I'm making sure I'm, I'm sprinkling in a little bit of vegetables, a little green stuff in the midst of all the rest of the other stuff that is enjoyable to eat. I'm mixing in some of this other stuff. We've got to 
balance our time with social media. Who knows if you don't pay attention, you can spend a whole lot of time either on social media or playing video games. You just kind of fall into a wormhole and you just get stuck in that. And then it's two hours later and you just realize you've wasted part of your day doing nothing. Nothing of significance and you get stuck on that. We have to balance our time between family and our friends. We've got to balance our time between work and rest. And there's one area that I really want to emphasize and put our focus on today. It's an area that we overlook a lot in our lives, but it's the balance between uh, the principle of, of the physical and the spiritual. We've got to balance the physical and the spiritual in our lives. Jesus knew firsthand exactly being fully human and fully God. Jesus hit the nail on the head when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness with his answer. It says in Matthew 4, uh, verse 1 through 4, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Say, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' response to the devil was a quote from the Torah of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where Jesus is, is basically echoing the words of Moses here. It is something that was learned from his early ancestors of necessarily not getting it right the first time in the wilderness, uh, going through some struggles, not being able to balance the physical and the spiritual in their lives, but Jesus recognized it and he knows exactly what we need in our life. Sabbath helps us to balance the active parts, the physical parts, with the holy parts, the spiritual parts. And as we start looking at this concept of Sabbath through food, this is, this is how God teaches the concept of Sabbath to his people. He uses food as an illustration, not even as an illustration, as a real life example as to how to live out Sabbath in their life. How they are to conduct Sabbath in their lives. How many of you have a, um, like a, a pet that you train it with like a treat, right? If you wanted to do something, you sit, you get a little treat, you want it to roll over, you give it a little treat. I'd hate to think this is how God thinks of us sometimes. But then we have the story. Of how God is teaching the Israelites Sabbath. And he uses food as the example. Food is just an opportunity, uh, to a tool to be used. Uh, food is, is, is essential to us. How many of you say, Pastor Scott, I love food. I love food. I like it a lot. How about that? I like food. I, I, I like eating. I like going out to eat. I don't necessarily like cooking. Because there's a mess that I have to clean up after that. But I love to eat. My wife makes a delicious fettuccine alfredo. I love it. It's one of my favorite things she makes. But again, you eat it, it's, it just, it's heavy. It sits. But I love, I will eat it to I expand. It, it, it's just one of those things. I love to enjoy good food. Now, my food is, is usually got a lot of butter on it. Um, you won't find it, find it on any diet menu, you won't find it anywhere else, but if it's fried, uh, if it's lathered in butter, if it's cheesy, yes, it is for me 
It is good. It is a blessing from the Lord. And that's how I receive it. Even though my body may not be uh, receiving it that way, that's how I receive it. But uh, James Beard says this about food. Food is the common ground, a universal experience. If you go anywhere in the world, you can just, just, you don't even have to speak the same language. But if you do like this, oh, I'm hungry. You know, people are going to stand, you need some food. If you, if you do like this, people are going to stand, you want to eat. And, and so food is essential. And so God uses this very common analogy, this very common need in our lives to bring about, bring about the Sabbath. Now, food is essential. Again, it's, we revolve a lot of things around food. Weddings revolve around food. We have sporting events. What do we have? Food. Um, dates. Food. Right? If you go to the movies, you will pay $375 on food. It revolves around, you think you go for a movie, but yet you spend more on food. Uh, birthdays, food, funerals, food. Again, food is essential to everyone's lives. It gives us energy, the nutrients to grow and develop, to be healthy, to be active, to move, to play, to think, to learn. And otherwise, we have to have it to survive. We have to have food to survive. And God takes this idea and he's going to flip it totally upside down and use it as a way to teach the principle of the spiritual life to his people. And uh, excuse me, in Exodus uh, chapter 16, we come across the Israelites. It's around um, day 45 in their wilderness ex- uh, adventure, their, their journey. They are freshly coming off of the uh, captivity from the uh, Egyptians. Um, they have crossed over the Red Sea. They are starting to, to go into the process of going into the promised land. And here they are starting to experience some fatigue. They're starting to get a little hungry. Their Egyptian Lunchables are, are gone. They've eaten them all. Their little snacks are, are gone. Their provisions are gone. And now they are sitting there looking around, their tummies are rumbling, and there's no food in sight. And what do you think happens? Some murmuring starts taking place, some grumbling starts. Think about this. You ever been on a long trip with your family? Especially if you have young ones. And you start driving, and you're going down this journey, and all of a sudden you hear, I'm hungry. And you're like, man, we are 10 minutes into this road trip. You just ate. I'm starving, right? And, and then you're like, okay, we'll be there in a little bit. And then it just progresses. Uh, Dad, I'm hungry. And then finally you're, you're searching through the car. You find that, that, that piece of peppermint that you got from a restaurant like a year ago. And you just kind of throw it in the back of the car for them to snack on for a little bit. When that doesn't do it, you start feeling around the side of the, you know, the, the cushions and the chair. You pull that old French fry out. It looks exactly like it did the day it fell in there. But you pull that thing out and you're like, here... Just pray over it. You'll be all right. Just pray over it. The Lord will bless it. And, and you know, we'll, we'll get on together in this trip. No, the people are getting hangry. They're getting upset. And, and the Bible says that they start grumbling before God. And, and they start coming before Moses. They start coming before Aaron. And they look, they're like, look, we've got to eat something. I want to pick it up in verse 11. It says this. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites, tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God. 
Now, when I go on my next trip, which may not be too long, we're supposed to drive down to Bradenton later today to pray for me. Um, When I go on my next road trip, I I want my wife to remind me of this verse. I I want to be reminded of of verse 12 uh, when Jesus says, I've heard their grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight they will eat meat and in the morning they will be filled with bread because they are the Lord God. I want to look back at my kids in a river mirror. I want to be like, I've heard your grumbling. I've heard you complaining for the last hour. No, that meat and bread is on its way. I am your Lord. Little L, not big L. Little L, big, not big O. Um, but no, I, I want to use this. This is powerful. You know, God is hearing the complaint from the backseat of his children saying, God, I'm hungry. God, I need this. And he's starting to answer their need. Verse 13, it says, that evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around uh, the campground. Then the dew, well, excuse me, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost was on the ground appeared to, or appeared on the desert floor. Did you get that? Frost of flakes. <laughs> it's right there, first Exodus chapter series, long before Kellogg's got a hold of it. Frosted flakes right there. Then you follow on, verse 15. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, they're great. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. They said, what is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is bread from the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded you. Everyone is to gather as much as they need to take an omer. An omer would have been about three pounds. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it out by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So we get the picture. They're complaining for food, and God supernaturally provides them with what they need to continue their journey. See, God knows exactly what we need. They they may not have gotten exactly what they wanted. They may have wanted a happy meal, but God gave them frosted flakes, right? And so think about that in our own lives. Sometimes we're praying for certain things, say, God, I want this. But God says, no, I know what you are saying you want, but I'm going to give you what actually you need. You may not realize it right now, but I'm giving exactly what you need. And the Israelites were getting exactly what they needed. They needed the nourishment. They needed the nutrition that this food was giving them for their journey. God supplied them with manna, this bread from heaven, not only um, that day, but every day after that. But there was only one clause to this. Excuse me. God said this to his people. Look, when you go to gather all that food, whatever you do, whatever you have left over, don't, don't store that. Don't put it in your cabinet. Don't put it into your fridge. Don't, don't hold on to these things. Because this is what I, God is trying to signify to, to them. Look, you don't need to go on your own means and try to take care of this. I'm your Lord. I'm your God. Allow me to provide for you. He is trying to instill this idea of Sabbath already in their minds. However, some of them did not listen or some of them did not trust God enough. Instead, they relied on themselves 
and kept some and stored it away. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds very familiar to me. As a parent, there is sometimes I tell my children certain things to do. Look, this is what you are to do. This is what I'm telling you to do. And when I get home from work, this is what I expect to be done. And so after a full day's hard work here at DCC, I come home to find that they did not listen. That the counter is dirty, the, the, the shoes in the hallway are still in the hallway, their lunch and breakfast is still on the table, they're still in their pajamas, their hair is unkept, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what have you done all day? And in my mind, I know exactly what they've done, exactly what I did during summer, nothing, veg out, but I had expectations for them, I had plans for them, I had tasks put upon them that they did not follow through. And, and I, I look at this story and, I, and I, 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 part of me is like, I get it. God, spank them. And then all the other part of me, I, I get it. I'm like, you just didn't listen. You just didn't follow directions. But you know what? Understand this. Whether they heard God and they just forgot what God said. Whether they willingly disobeyed God. Whether they accidentally forgot. It doesn't matter what it was. It was still sin disobedience to following God's standard that he has put in their lives. And so, of course, what happened? They woke up the next morning to find their food not only filled with maggots, but now it was starting to smell. There was a stink about it. And a lot of us will be quick to judge. How could they? God tells me to do something, I do it. Really? We don't have to go through the list. But we can, but we won't. But I do want to say this. Think about if it was you. Think about if you're in a desert, you don't have the tools to work the ground. You you don't have the the opportunity to to plant plants and to, to build a garden. They're moving. They're constantly moving. And all their food is coming from God. So, so, and, and, and my mind, thinking of my kids, I would try to store as much as I could so that when my kid came to me and said, Daddy, I'm hungry, I could pull a little Frosted Flake wafer out of my pocket and be like, here you go, baby. Right? And I'm sure it was good intentions at some point that they wanted to hold on to this, but again, they were acting out from the will that God had put in their lives. Now think about it like this. If it's not food, maybe it's toilet paper. Maybe God puts a daily ration of toilet paper on your doorstep. That's all you can use. Some of us going door to door. And we're going to start collecting. Because you don't, you just don't want to be left out without the need of it. And what he is illustrating to us here in this is that we need to follow and obey the will of God. Don't keep any until morning. But we want that backup plan. We have comfort in that backup plan. We have comfort in being able to go to a certain thing and saying, this is what I need and this is what I could get. Why? Because we don't feel like we could go to our Heavenly Father and say, this is what I need and expect this is what we get. What if the real issue here isn't fear versus faith, but will we trust God in the provisions or do we trust ourselves? 
Is the lesson of, this is the lesson of the wilderness. Are we going to trust God or are we going to trust our own strengths? Will you trust God or lean on your own strength? God used man in, a, in this way to instill the importance of Sabbath even before. Get this, even before God gave them the Ten Commandments. Before God gave them the fourth commandment of honoring the Sabbath and, and keeping it holy, God is already implementing this idea of the Sabbath. And, and at first I never got that, but then I saw this and I was like, man, that is so cool how God is already instructing something before he's even written that out for them. God purposely tested them to see if they would obey him or not. And you know what? God is still testing us today if we would obey him in his word or not. He may not be testing us in, in keeping food, but yet he's, keep, he's testing us if we are going to keep the Sabbath. Continue Exodus 16, verse 22. It says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Today is to be a day of the Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. See, there's, now there's a change taking place. See, every other day they're not allowed to take the food, cook the food, hold on to the food because it would spoil, it would be maggot infested and it would stink. But yet here, the day before the Sabbath, God has instructed them, look, this is what you're going to do. You're going to gather two days worth of food. You're going to cook it. You're going to bake it. You're going to do whatever you want with it. And then you're going to store it. Why? Because on the next day is Sabbath and I'm not going to provide the manna for you. I'm not going to allow this process to take place. It says, verse 25, eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord and you will not find any on the ground today. Six days you are together, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will, be, there will not be any. I, I, I think of this again like Jesus in the wilderness. Like Jesus, we're created in the Lord's image. God knows exactly what we need. God knew exactly what Jesus' need. And after 40 days and 40 nights of Jesus fasting and seeking after God, it, was, it wasn't the physical that plenished God. It was the spiritual that plenished, uh, was plentiful to Jesus. The spiritual food, the spiritual bread that comes from the Lord. For us, we also, we have, we have grown too complacent. And what we have, we, we've, we've allowed junk food to take the place of what we need for the spiritual food. When we've allowed Sundays to be more about soccer and Starbucks than the Sabbath, we're out of balance. When we more focus on feeding our flesh than feeding our spirit, again, we are out of balance. And it's time that we look at God's example of manna in the wilderness to balance our perspectives on Sabbath. And I just want to run through a few of these real quick. I got three things. That will help us with our perspective on Sabbath through the life experience of the Egyptian, or excuse me, the um, Israelites. Verse one, or excuse me, number one, it says, "Remember that God, what God has done for us. We have to remember what God has done for us." I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget just how good I have things. Sometimes, sometimes I forget exactly what God has done for me. And I forget all the prayers and all the requests that God has already answered years and years and years ago. And I get fixated on 
what's in front of me today. And there's times that we forget what God has done for us. And same thing with the Israelites. They had forgotten what God had done for them. Exodus 16 verse 3, it says this, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died in the Lord's hand, by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, he sat, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It only took less than two months for the Israelites to get their focus off of God and back to being held captivity, held as slaves in Egypt. They were already longing to go back to where they were in bondage. I wonder how quickly we forget the former blessings that God has given us. Sabbath helps us to remember that God's faithfulness is consistent in our lives. Secondly, Sabbath helps us to give thanks. Savage, savage. Sabbath encourages us to be thankful. Without the wake-up call of, of illness or bad news or failure in our lives, Sabbath helps us to come back and to look at all the things that God has given us and for us to be thankful on those things. Sabbath, as much as our families can, can sometimes irritate us, we're able to look back and see God's blessings through our families. Through times of our job, as much as sometimes our jobs can, can be difficult and it's, it's hard to fulfill certain tasks, we can look back and see just how blessed we are and we're able to give thanks to God for our jobs. But you know what? If we never take that time of rest, if we never allow God the opportunity to speak into our spirits, to have a gratitude of thankfulness, we will miss out. Deuteronomy 8.10 says this, when you have eaten and you are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. We are obligated to give thanks to God. And the thing about it is God inhabits our praises. He appreciates our thankfulness. If there's anything I want more in my life, I never want God to have to think, is, is, is Scott thankful for what I've done in his life? I always want my praise to be, or excuse me, the praise of God to be on my lips. I always want something coming forth from me saying, God, I'm thankful for this. God, I'm thankful for that. I can remember, and I, don't, I hope you do this, but I can remember as a young kid, and my daughter does it now, my little seven-year-old, but she'll start listing all the little, little things. I mean, like, little, little. Like, God, thank you for my lollipop today. You know, thankful for, of course, she says her mommy or daddy or her daddy first and then her mommy and then her brothers and then her sister, you know, and all these other things. But every little, little inkling throughout the day, they're thankful for it. Thank you for the TV shows. Thank you. You know, and it's so sweet to hear it. And, I, and part of me is like, you know, God, God don't want to hear that. But the other part of me is God does want to hear that. And, and I think we, we neglect the opportunity of just laying everything out before God and saying, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. God, th thank you for this little. This, as little and as insignificant as we think it may be, God has dropped these things into our lives. And we need to in return give thanks for it. Thirdly, Sabbath helps us to stay humble. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 12 and 14, it says, When you eat your fill... When you build and occupy good houses, when your cattle and flocks increase, when you have plenty of silver and gold, and when you have the abundance of everything, be sure not to feel self-important and forget the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt 
the place of slavery. And, and as I was reading that, I've never, it never dawned on me before that Moses is writing this to his people. But yet they have not entered into the promised land yet. They, they're still traveling around in tents. They don't have a land to call home. They don't have a home. They don't have this wealth. They don't have these, all this, this, this stuff. But Moses is speaking proactively. He's speaking out in faith. He's speaking out in the abundance of goodness that he knows that God is. He's speaking out of experience. Look, God said it, then it's going to come to action. He says, when these things take place, humble yourselves and give praise to God. Both poverty and wealth can threaten our faith and relationship, our relationship with God. But Sabbath is a balancing point in this. On Sabbath, the poor man is wealthy and the rich man is humbled. For most part of our lives, we, we don't need more. In our culture, we really don't need more. We simply need to recognize how much we have. The Sabbath is that reality check. To look around and see how God has blessed us. We have enough. Not try to get more. Because if we do, our manna may turn into maggots. Our blessings may become a curse. In closing, there was a story that I come across uh, not too long ago. And it's about a man who took his girlfriend out on a date one day. And as they were on this date, he takes her out to dinner. It's her birthday. He wants to celebrate her and, and whatnot. And so as they go to dinner, he surprises her with this very elegant box and just kind of lays it on the table there. And of course, she sees it. It's her birthday. She's excited. And she goes to reach for it. And he's like, no, 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 no. You got to wait until after dinner. And so the guy slowly, you know, looks through the menu. He orders an appetizer. He takes his time. And, and the whole time, she's just seeing this box. She's wanting to see what's in this side of this box. Her mind is running. It's a good-sized box. She's just, okay, this could be in it. This could be in it. This is what I wanted. This is what I've kind of put out there. This is what I've let him know that I want. You know, and this, I'm just putting it in. Her mind's just going, and, and she's just wanting to see what was inside that box. But she's got to wait until dinner is finished. So he takes his time, he's eating his meal, and finally he pushes a plate aside, he wipes his mouth, over, uh, mouth off, and he goes, you know what, now you can open your gift. I mean, she's excited. She's trying to hide it, but you can't really hide it when you're really excited. You just ripped open that gift and opens the top of that box and looks in and pulls out, and she's looking, it's a pillow. And she's like, a pillow? And if you get a gift, you, you have to act like you like the gift, Right? And so she's looking at the gift and she's looking at it. And she's like, oh, it's, this is a nice pillow. Man, it's soft. It's got little sequins on it. And she kind of flips it over, hoping that there's something else taped to the bottom of it. But there's nothing. And so she's like, thanks. And she puts it back in the box and she's just thinking, you know, but it's, it's a pillow. Did I say I wanted a pillow? By that time, the boyfriend gets up, he takes the pillow out of the box, puts it on the ground. He takes one knee and asks her to marry her. At that moment, her focus went from the gift to the gift giver. For us, Sabbath is that opportunity to take us from looking at what we have and what we want to the one who has given us those things. 
Our perspective totally changes, but yet we miss out on all that opportunity if we miss out on Sabbath itself. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org. 